Hey, good morning, Grace Church. Glad to have you. Those of you engaging online, thanks for being with us as well. Uh, I messed up this week. Some of you are like, uh, hey, I thought we were supposed to have communion today. And that would be my bad, because I put that in the congregational email on Friday, and I sort of, I think it might be my high cholesterol, I don't know. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard about that, and so whatever it is, though. But I would just want to say, uh, yeah, th- thanks. Next Sunday, we're going to have uh, communion. Can I just say thank you again for being a church fam- family that reaches out in so many ways? I was out here at the, by the table, they're collecting coats, and Sue, who's sort of heading that up, she just goes, I, people just like just give here at Grace. Like they're just so kind. We're reaching all kinds of people. You gave thousands of dollars for to help with Afghani refugees. Uh, you've uh, our, we had the Chamber of Commerce meeting from Middlebrook Heights for this week, and the mayor did his annual state of the city address, and some of the team came up, his team came up and said, wow, Grace had you know, a few dozen volunteers at her Fall Fest last Saturday, thank you for that. So thank you, lots of different, I won't try to mention them all, but thank you for the kind of family you are, just love and appreciate you. Uh, I wanna start with a story as we, before we dig into God's word, uh, two friends of mine were out swimming uh, I imagine all of us just enjoy getting out, enjoying a day at the beach, you know, you, the sound of the water and everything else is going on. And, and my two buddies, that was the case for them. But it wasn't like that beach that day. They were actually out alone. And they were, it was a time when, you know, it was just sort of empty. And they were swimming out to this little island. And they're like, they're very athletic guys. And they're like, hey, we can do this. Randy and Ken, my two friends. And so they get out to the island, they're hanging out, they're like, hey, let's swim back. And on the way back, in short order, uh, Ken begins to cramp up. And they've got quite a ways to go back. And so he calls out to Randy, he goes, Randy. Randy was the stronger swimmer, and he goes, Randy, Randy, you gotta come back, man. I'm like, I'm I'm cramping up, man. I don't think I can, so Randy swims back and goes, man, just, you know, hang on to me a second here, and uh, and then we'll both swim in. So Ken, after a little bit, goes, "I'm, I'm fine, you know, let's go. So Ken starts swimming back, and he gets partway back, and he goes, hey, Randy. He looks back, and Randy's not there. And I'll never forget that evening. Uh, I, I was in the area hearing a helicopter overhead with the searchlights and those airboats or whatever they call them, you know, that they don't have the motors in the water because they don't want to, and they've got the huge fan-like things on the back, and And they eventually recovered Randy's body. And this great guy, you know, it's just, they don't know what happened, but uh, he got under and whatever took place. And I remember being at his memorial service and trying to figure out what it must be like to be in Ken's shoes, to go, I'm here today uh, because that guy gave his life for me. Like if he had not come back and, and helped me, I, I'd be the guy whose memorial service is being held today. And Randy was this, I mean, this guy had charisma and was just a great guy and his family and you watch the grieving. I imagine that Ken, from that day forward, every day he'd wake up and say, God, I want to thank you for a new day, and I want to thank you for my friend Randy. Thank you for what Randy did for me. 
And that's just the logical response, right? That's the rational, like, you owe your life to someone. But imagine that Ken wakes up and, and someone goes, hey, tell me about your life. And he's like, oh my, I almost forgot. There was this guy, you know, who, you go, no, that would never, that would, if that happened, there'd be something wrong with you, right? Every one of us has a choice as to how we're going to respond to the kindness that has been done to us. And especially when we find out that there was a life-saving rescue at the cost of someone's life that was done for us. How do we respond to that? I'm gonna give you a chance at the end to go, here's how I can respond. Like in a way that will, that really is life-changing. I'd like you to turn me to Romans chapter three. If you don't have a paper Bible like I do, the Bible app is awesome and it's free. And Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. And this is the turning point, the first turning point in the letter that the Apostle Paul has written. You'll find notes for the message today in the bulletin uh, that is online. Just go to the bulletin on our homepage and just and you'll see the notes at the end, or maybe you picked up a piece of paper on your way in today. But Romans 3 describes a daring rescue. According to God's analysis of our condition, each one of us, that's you, that's me, that's every single person who's ever lived, is in major trouble, and we're unable to rescue ourselves. Like That's, just, that's what the Bible says. We can agree with it. We don't have to agree with it, but if you read this book and you go, okay, I'm willing to accept what it says about me. It says, I'm in trouble on my own, spiritually. And when I realize what the Lord has done for me and rescued me, it calls for a response of like, of love and return and faith. Before we dig into that second part of Romans 3, I want us just to do an overview of the first 20 verses. Paul gives us three clarifications, and you'll see these in your notes, but I just want to do it real quickly. Imagine you're a person of Jewish heritage. It's wonderful to be Jewish, and, but you're reading or listening to Paul just before this, and he goes, hey, you know what? Your religious heritage doesn't count before God. Like that'll never get you into heaven. Being Jewish, or frankly we said today, like being Presbyterian or Alliance or whatever, like I'm a member of Grace Church, that in itself is never gonna get you to heaven. So a Jewish person might go, hey, time out a second here. I thought like we're the chosen people of God. Like what's up with that? I thought Genesis chapter three, like God chose Abraham and Sarah, you know, and we're like the people. And so Paul responds to that. And here's, here's what he says in verse one. He starts off the chapter and says, what advantage is there then to being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision, this religious rite? That, much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. In other words, yeah, God did give his word through Moses. He gave his word through the prophets. The Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, is from Jewish people. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Like that's, yeah, but Paul is basically saying this. He's going, there's benefits to Jewish heritage even if it can't save you. And that was his key point. Your religious heritage, no matter what it is, will never save you. Next clarification is this, number two. Even if other people are unfaithful, God is always faithful and he's a fair and just judge. Paul talks about this in verses three to eight. Let me just read a couple of verses beginning with verse three. It says this. Just because God's people were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. What he's saying is that the failures of God's people, and there were a lot of them, even today you might go, 
you know, I can't really accept Christianity because let me tell you about this one Christian leader I saw or this musician or this, you know, whatever. I saw Pastor John is speeding down 71 or whatever. I thought that guy was a Christian. And, and my lack of faithfulness or anybody else's does not nullify the faithfulness of God. That's what Paul's point is. He's like, every promise God has made, you can count on. You can count on God. In the end, he's, he's gonna win. And so uh, that's Paul's second part. God is always faithful, even if some of us, all of us, are unfaithful. One more clarification, it's in verses nine to 20, and it's this, number three. Well, we might do good deeds, and a lot of people do good deeds, right? Paul says no one can be good in terms of being right with God. Verse nine is a great summary, it says this. He says, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Jews and Gentiles, he's saying, Jews and Gentiles are not Jews. He's going to everybody, like everybody who's ever lived, everybody on the planet. He goes, we're all under the power of sin. Paul uses a bunch of superlatives here. He says all and every, and in fact, six times in three verses, he says no one, not even one. No one, he says, has really like spiritual understanding on their own. Verse 11, no one is seeking God. No one does good, not even one. He's going on our own. He's not, he's not saying we can't do good. You might be like, I took a meal to the lady across the street whose husband died. I think that's pretty good. Paul's not saying you're incapable of doing anything good. He's going, you can't be good on your own before God. We're drowning in sin. Every single one of us. That's been Paul's, remember we had five S's for the book of Romans. Sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. First three chapters, we're all drowning in sin. And if we don't get help with that, there's like an ugly word, some would say, the first three chapters, we don't really like, and it's, it's this, it's wrath. You read it like several times in the first three chapters, the wrath of God. Let me just show you a couple of them and then talk about that for a second because that can really be tough for us to comprehend. In verse 18, it says of chapter one, back in chapter one, it's one in each chapter. Verse 18 of chapter one, it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. I want you to catch what the wrath of God is against. It's not against people, it's against godlessness and people treating others inhumanely. Verse 32, those who do such things deserve death. In chapter two, verse five, he says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. He says it again in chapter three, verse five. Can I ask, is it hard for you to hear those verses? It's hard for me. I don't like reading that. In fact, it's the reason some people go, I, you know, I don't really, I don't know if I can accept that. There's a denomination right now that, um, that maybe you've heard the, song in Christ alone. Remember this song? It's like a modern day hymn. And there's a, and you guys can put this on the screen. It says this, till on the cross as Jesus died, the what? The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. One denomination, they said, you know, we we sort of like that song, but we don't really like that phrase. We're gonna see if we can take that out. Some of you may know if you've ever written a song, you've ever had it like copyrighted, that you can't change, like we at Grace can't just change words in a song that we sing on a Sunday morning. You gotta get permission from the author of that song. 
So he asked the author of that song, and the authors were like, uh, no, that's not gonna work. So you know what the denomination did? They're like, we're just gonna cancel that song from our, our list of songs that we sang. Because they couldn't accept what the Bible says about the wrath of God. If, that makes, if, if the wrath of God makes you uncomfortable, and in a sense it, it could, can I, can I talk about this for a second? I, I really believe that the wrath of God was never intended um, for people to be the recipients. Because his wrath is directed at sin, and sin was never a part of God's original plan. Right? That was, that was us. But when God sees something happen, it would, you, you could say God would not be God if God didn't have a controlled, justifiable anger at certain things. Think about what's happened. Think about how you would respond to, let me just mention several, genocide in our world, in, in our own lifetime. Some of you were alive when Rwanda happened, right? Almost a million people killed because of their ethnicity. You say that's, or maybe in your grandparents' lifetime, you know, other ones like the killing fields in Cambodia or others, and you think the horror of what was done or by Stalin or Hitler or others. Let's just make it more personal. Let's say about the child you read about in the news who was abused by a stranger who abducted them, and you just go, that, doesn't that do something? You go, that's wrong. That deserves to be like something has to happen. When that takes place or you watch someone walk out on, on their kids and because they, they think they'd be happier with someone else and they leave their kids in the dust or, or your, your friend's daughter is killed by a drunk driver and, you, and, and to not feel something in that would be to have a calloused heart, right? A lack of love or you're like, yeah, you know, stuff happens. That, you know, I don't, it doesn't really affect me. It's not my life. And you go, no, that, that ought to do something to you. That does something to God. It does something to God that God is saying, when I see something like that done to people that I treasure, to people who matter to me, that there's a justifiable and fair response in the part of God that goes, that has to be dealt with. If I'm gonna be true to my character, I have to deal with that in some way. And so friends, today we could say, If we don't find a way to get right with God, that's what's gonna happen to us. But I wanna focus on the big if, if we don't find a way, because that's the whole point of what Paul is writing about here. He, he's saying this, he's saying, man, this is not the end of the story. In fact, chapter three is this major turning point. Paul, in the first three chapters, he's like a lawyer and he's going, you know what? It doesn't matter if you've got a non-religious background, you're guilty before God. Religious background, pretty good person, you do a lot of good stuff, guilty before God, on your own. You just, you can't do it. Paul says, we are all infected with sin. But then in chapter three, there's this turning point where it's like a major turning point in, in the, and Paul says, you cannot be right with God on your own, but, chapter three, verse 20, but a righteousness from God has been revealed, apart from the law, like apart from having to try to do good and, and be good enough to earn your way to God. And, and he says, a righteousness from God has been revealed. And he goes, and it's free. That's what Paul is gonna tell us. He goes, you, you don't have to live with like, you know, the, the results of your sin. God can make you right. He can change you from the inside out. There's another chapter to the story. In fact, it's the whole point of the book of Romans. Uh, that, that you're out there, you are, you're struggling like my buddy Ken, 
But God goes on a life-saving rescue mission, and he just says, it's, it's up to you. What do you want to do? Suppose you're out in the, you know, you're out in some, like, fishing boat that's, you know, 147 miles offshore, and your boat capsizes in a storm. And you call out, you know, to God and, and, and with the other guy, you know, people, and, and, and this boat comes by, and they're like, hey, Hey, we're unbelievable. We didn't know you guys, like, we, do you want to, come on in. And suppose one of the guys that's one of your, is like, you know what? I think I'm good. I'm going to swim 147 miles back to shore. I think I can do this. You go, that's crazy. But it's his choice, right? If he, if he says, you, maybe they just yank him in anyhow, right? J.I. Packer wrote the book, Knowing God. One of the shaping books in my life says this. Nobody stands under the wrath of God except those who have chosen to do so. In other words, every one of us can receive the gift that God offers because God has done for us what we can never do on our own. Let me read you the key passage here. Starting with verses 22, we'll read verse 22 to 20. Let this sort of sink in. What has Jesus done for us? Here's what Paul says, verse 22. We are made right with God, how? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. In other words, sometimes people go, what happened to the people before Jesus? Like, how, did they, how are they forgiven? And Paul is telling us, he's go, well, there was a, like a temporary forgiveness, you know, they would offer these sacrifices, but it all looked forward to the time that Jesus would die. Look, listen to what he says next. He says, for he was looking ahead and including them and in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on what? On faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. You hear what Paul's saying? He's going, friends, we can't swim back to shore on our own. We'll never be able to do it. We can't be acceptable to God on our own. So how do we receive that rescue? That's, that's what the Christian gospel is all about. You know, in every other religion and worldview, it's sort of the same song, different verse. It's this. You develop your resume of like doing enough good stuff. You take a pilgrimage. You, you try to be really nice to people around you. You go through some religious, you know, whatever rituals. And then you develop your resume spiritually and you present it to God. And you're like, God, I think I'm a pretty good person, better than a lot of other people. You ought to, you ought to accept me based on my resume. That's what every other religion and worldview is about. For the first time in history, when Jesus comes into the world, uh, and, and this is what God has always been about, that, that it's not our resume. My resume, I'll never, I'm done, right? I'm sunk. I'm gonna drown in my sin. But instead, God says, I'm gonna do this. It's a resume from above. That's what he says in Romans chapter three. You get a resume from above, a righteousness that 
He freely gives you, and you go, hey, God, I'm actually presenting the perfect resume of Jesus, and he never messed up, he never sinned, and he took the penalty for all the wrong stuff I've done. You know what the God the Father says? He goes, you're, you're in. You're part of my family. I want to adopt you as my son, my daughter. That's the Christian gospel. It's not about how good you can be for God. It's about how good God has been to you and that he welcomes you in. And it's all based on what Paul says. He goes, it's based on faith more than that in a second. But he rescues us. He saves us completely. In fact, when you read in the scriptures, it talks about you're saved in the past. It says you've been saved. It says sometimes it says you are being saved. And it says you will be saved. And you go, how can it be all three? Like, is it because there's a past, present, and future component? You'll see this here. But let me just mention this briefly. In the past, it means we've been forgiven from the penalty of our sins. If, you, if I were to ask you, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Or what's the thing that haunts you? You go, if I could have a do-over, I would, I would rewind the tape some of you are going, what do you mean rewind the tape? That's an old guy like me. Like, we used to have videotapes and stuff like that, you know. A mulligan, whatever you want to call it. And I wish I could do this one over again. And you go, if I could do that, I'd, I'd feel better before God. Can we just say this? When you come to Jesus, he, he wipes that out. Like, he doesn't remember that. That's what the Bible says. It's, it's gone. Your past is complete. Everything you've done that you're ashamed of or embarrassed of or regret, it's, it's gone. How about your present? In the present, he begins to release us from the power of sin. Things that we do that we're like, why do I do what I don't want to do? Like, and I heard the people around me, I keep on doing the, and God the Spirit comes and lives within us and begins to free us from the power of sin. But ultimately, that's not going to happen completely until we get to heaven someday. And then he's going to save us from the very presence of sin. That means that you'll, you'll never, you know, You'll never ever mess up. You'll never be un misunderstood by another person. You'll never get to uh, have an outburst of uncontrolled anger. You'll never be dishonest. You'll never mess up your diet to try to lower your cholesterol. <laughs> Speaking to myself right there, I'll never get a kick from my wife under the table again. Don't eat that. Seriously, there, we'll live in a world where there will be no more tornadoes or cancer or car accidents or poverty or racism or all of the brokenness of this world be gone forever because sin will be completely removed. My dad is experiencing that today. He took his last breath seven years ago today. It's October 10th, 2014. We were all holding hands as we knew my dad was in his final moments and watched him take that final breath where he inhaled and he didn't exhale. And it's one of those sacred moments. Some of you have been there. And I can't wait to see dad again. Mom was looking through one of his devotionals recently. And he, dad was like some of you where, you know, you just, you write a little date and, you know, you're reading your Bible or a devotional. You put like October 10, 2021 or something like that. And dad had done that. August 2014, like eight weeks before he died. He got to the point where like a month before he died, he couldn't, he couldn't speak. The cancer had gone to his brain and he couldn't, couldn't get words out. But he could still, he could still write. And, um, and he wrote a, a note in his margin about the wonder of what God has done through Jesus and what he offers. So don't go through life telling yourself what a miserable failure you are if you are in Christ, hold your head high. 
You are a child of God, a member of his family. The Holy Spirit is in you. His righteousness makes you righteous before God. And when you see Christ, you will be like him. Only God can offer us that gift. My resume will never be good enough. Your resume will never be good enough. So how do we receive that rescue? How do we, how do we get that resume where we can be made right before God. Well, Paul tells us, if you look back at verse 22, he says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. He says, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Paul wanted to just drill this down, so he repeats himself. Verse 25, he says, we're made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood. Verse 27, our acquittal is not based on our good deeds, it's based on our faith. Verse 30, there's only one way of being accepted. He makes people right with himself only by faith. Friends, can I be really clear? To be made right with God is everything. It's everything. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And the only way to accept it is through faith. One more quote from my dad. My dad used to say, if I'm right with God, nothing can really be wrong with me. And if I'm wrong with God, nothing can really be right with me. So I wanna ask you today, if you were to take a self-assessment and say, am I right with God? How would you answer that? I'm not saying do you have a good resume before a guy like a spiritual, none of it, like, that's, that's a losing proposition from the start. My resume, your resume, spiritually, will never be enough for God. The question is, have you accepted God's resume for you? Have you accepted his perfect record and said, Jesus, I accept the truth about me. I'm like, I'm like out there 147 miles from shore and there's no way I can do it on my own. Thank you for coming after me. Thank you for being like Randy and giving your life so that I could be saved. Friends, there's just like one response when that happens, right? My buddy Ken, what's his response? Like the only rational response. If he sees Randy's family, what does he do? I, I would think every time he'd just be like, I wanna say again how grateful. I, I, I am so thankful for your, you know, for Randy, for your brother and all, he's, he was amazing. He saved my life. He saved my life, right? It's the only appropriate response that when we see what our Father has done for us, I, I don't want you to see your Father in heaven as being this vengeful judge, just loves to just zap people. Now it says he's slow to anger and he is full of love. His heart is to adopt every one of us as his son, his daughter. Say, I want you to be part of the family, not only for today, but forever. When you really know how desperate you are drowning in sin, you find out someone's given their life for you. I think there's really only one rational, legitimate response, and it's to say, I owe you my life. I owe you my life. That is if you accept the truth about your condition that the scriptures say and God himself through the scriptures that on our own, we're not gonna make it. But with what Jesus has done for us, total confidence. Not a guess, not a hope, not a wonder, but you can know for sure that you'll be one of his children for today and forever. I told you I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make that personal. So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me and those of you online, uh, 
engaging with us from whatever living room or kitchen or back patio or wherever you may be. I uh, want to welcome you to pray with us as well and, and to make this prayer your own, okay? He's listening for us. Jesus is right with us. He's, he's into our hearts. Let's talk to him together. If you want to take this step of putting your faith in Jesus, I invite you to pray quietly along with me. Lord Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. Thank you for your offer of forgiveness means a fresh start here and a priceless inheritance in heaven. Thank you for your great love in sending your son Jesus to die for me. I want to share this life with you, Jesus, and to know you as a friend. Please be the leader of my life from this day forward. Help me to trust and follow you as you lead me. Lord, I thank you for hearing our prayers. I thank you for the day that I put my trust in you for the first time. I didn't even fully understand what I was doing. But you rescued me more than I ever knew. And that today I can know I'm forgiven and my past is washed and my present, you're with me and every day. And one day, Lord, I, I know I'll be with you forever. And I just, I thank you for that gift that's offered to every single one of us. Thank you for telling the truth about us, not only apart from you, but the truth about what we can be when we receive you. So Jesus, we thank you today. We love you for what you, the rescue you did for us at the cost of your life. Thank you for meeting us where we are, helping us to be the people you want us to be. In your name we pray. Every person filled with gratitude said, amen. amen.